In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes something he calls a red lizard. He talks about this red lizard sitting on a young man's shoulder, and the lizard is tormenting him, mocking him. The lizard represents temptation. It represents the draw and the pull that every one of us are very familiar with, the draw to sin. So this red lizard is sitting on this young man's shoulder, both delighting him because of the sin, the draw to sin, and destroying him because of the sin. An angel appears <clears throat> in this story and tells the young man that he can get rid of that red lizard forever. At first, the young man is overjoyed. He can finally rid himself of this thing that constantly draws him into sin and then mocks him and leads to destruction. However, when he sees the angel heat up with white hot heat, the man realizes this red lizard may be going away forever. And so the man interrupts the angel and says, you know, maybe you don't actually have to kill it. Maybe just wound it or scare it. Maybe we can just do this another time, says the man. But the angel responds, In this moment are all moments. Either you want this red lizard to live, or you want him to die. Then the red lizard begins to speak. And the red lizard said to the man, Please be careful. This angel can do what he says. He will kill me with one fatal word from you. Then you will be without me forever. I admit, says the red lizard, I've gone too far in the past, but I promise you I won't do it again. I'll be nothing but nice to you from now on. Well, <clears throat> this picture of this red lizard on our shoulder is something that we can identify with. We know that voice that draws us to sin. The Bible speaks about this red lizard. In fact, the Bible defines this red lizard in giving us three sources of temptation. What is this lizard? This lizard is, in fact, representative of the enemies of God. There are three sources of temptation that can get to us. They are these, the world, 
the flesh and the devil. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, actually gives us the definition of all of these in one passage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, read from the New Living Translation. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your sins. Once you were dead, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful sinful nature. But our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. In this one passage, we find all three of these entities. Number one, the world. In Ephesians 2, 2, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. In 2b, Ephesians 2, 2b, obeying the devil, the world, the devil, and he defines the devil as the commander of powers in this unseen world. Wow. And the flesh, the world, the devil, and now the flesh in Ephesians 2, verse 3, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. So we've now located a three-headed dragon and not just a little red lizard. The three-headed dragon that represents, or that is, not just represents, but in fact is, the enemies of God and man, mankind. <clears throat> Dr. Carl I. Payne has written a book on spiritual warfare. And I will tell you that his book on, the spir- on spiritual warfare is the best I've ever read, including my own. <laughs> it really is a great uh, gives a great background and depth and understanding of spiritual warfare. Dr. Carl I. Payne, he said something very insightful in his book that helps us to understand this three-headed dragon that sits on our shoulder. He said this, The world is our external solicitation to sin. The flesh is our internal solicitation to sin. And the devil is the supernatural inclination to sin. Three-headed dragon. There's the world. The world is governed by the enemy, by Satan. And this external attack from the world dramatically affects us. 
This external, point one, this external solicitation to sin from the world is incredibly important for us to understand. You see, when we as the church talk about the world, I've realized we do so too much in theory. Okay, the world is the system of government, not, not physical government, but governing of the enemy. It is the systematic governing of the enemy over this planet. He is called the prince of the power of the air. And we look at those system of operation in the world in theory, but I think we have missed the application. And the fact is this. We encounter the system of this world all the time. All the time we run into the systems of this world. You do at your job. The people you interact with, the people over you, your bosses, you interact with them at a level that is not Christian, right? Your schools. You're engaging with teachers, professors, and uh, other students, and you run into the world. The system of operation that is overseen by the enemy, supernatural enemy of God. What has happened is this. Satan has made his mark upon this earth, and with our sinful natures, he dangles colorful, shiny things in front of us. It's almost, picture it this way. If there were a lake, and we were the fish in that lake, Satan would be an expert fisherman of that lake. He knows how to tempt the flesh in us by dangling things that inherently our dark desires are drawn to. The enemy of our soul. James says this in Uh, chapter 4 and verse 4, when James says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, don't store up treasures here on this earth where moth and uh, eat and rust destroys them where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where these things don't happen. That's why Jesus says, don't be friends with the world because the world deceives you and we get trapped by the enemy. And from that point, he will try to ruin our lives. <clears throat> 
Jesus says in, in verse 24 in summary, nobody can serve two masters. You're going to hate the one, uh, love the one, hate the other, devoted to one, and despise the other. The point being is that Satan, again, has created within the system of the world things that we are drawn to. That the flesh nature, the passions of heart, are drawn to little colorful shiny things like the fish in the water hoping that we will bite. How does this happen? How does Satan draw us into buying what he's selling? Well, two passages I want us to look at quickly this morning that will tell us, first of all, the situation that we're in. And secondly, the strategy that we're against. The situation we're here now as believers. How difficult is it today to live a righteous life? How difficult is it today to raise kids to be holy and walk with God? What, and what is their future going to be like? And so we have to address this issue of the world and the deception therein because integrated into this world can be our destruction, can be ruination of our lives because that is the end result of the enemy. He hates you. He hates your family. It annoys him to no end that you walk with God. And so he's going to be casting lures your way. And if we bite, we'll be dragged. 1 Peter 2, 11, the situation we're in. Peter says, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. So understand, this is not a passive thing. It's not as if Satan created the world and said, you know, just whatever. It's not a passive thing. This activity of the world against us is active and passionate. Uh, Peter uses the term it wages war against us. It wages war. The Greek term here is strategio, strategio, where we get our word strategy. It refers to an enemy army encamped around their enemy about to destroy, about to attack. An army ready and in waiting. It describes a military expedition where a commander will lead his army into battle. This Greek term to wage war, strateo, uo, is what Russia has done to Ukraine. The world system is not passive. Just saying, come over here. 
the world is waging war has its enemy, has its army surrounding you. The world is waging war against your very soul, says Peter. <clears throat> and so it's aggressive. It's passionate. The enemy desires through the temptations of this world to destroy how does that happen? The strategy we're against. How does Satan accomplish this? 1 John 2, 15 to 16. Here's how he does it. You want to know where you're vulnerable? You want to know where... What part of you the enemy pricks... And draws, John's about to tell us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is. Here's what he does. Through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father. What is he saying? He's saying this. <clears throat> that these are the three areas that we're most vulnerable to, to these lures of the world. The lust of the flesh. When we think about lust of the flesh, immediately come into our minds stuff like pornography and sexual addiction and things like that. And, and that's all a part of it. But in fact, the lust of the flesh is any dark desire that you have. The lust of the flesh is any draw or any pull away from the truth of God. What are the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes, if we go back to the, <coughs> to the lake fishing illustration, the lust of the eyes is when he draws that lure and we turn. We get a glimpse. And then we give our full attention to what he's offering. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. <clears throat> we know from the scripture that God hates all pride. And there are different kinds of pride. <clears throat> there is a pride of wealth and of prestige. There is a pride of self, ego-centered, narcissistic but there's also a spiritual pride that leads to hypocrisy and self-delusion and spiritual arrogance. Let me tell you the worst thing about pride. Hang on, listen to me quickly. The worst thing about pride is that it blinds us to ourselves. And though God hates all pride... I don't think there is a worse pride than spiritual pride. And let me tell you, I've walked in it. I, I'm part of the problem. There have been years 
where I've sat in a building like this and looked outside at those people back out there and felt a distance from them, felt detached from them because I was better than them. Because I lived holy, I lived righteously. It it was not a conscious thought, but as I go back and look, it was there. And it's been in the church for generations. What we have to remember, it's the illustration that Jesus gave about the speck, the log in his own eye, a guy pointing out the speck in your eye, and he's got a log in his own eye. That's what spiritual pride does. It, it disables us from seeing ourselves. And then it focuses on the problems of others. And so we walk away in self-delusion and pride. We have to remember. <laughs> Let, listen, I, I'll guarantee you this. I'll guarantee you this. Half of the people in here would be worse than the worst people you now know if you hadn't been saved. And by the way, I'd belong in that group. You would live your life because of this. We are all seeking fulfillment. And if you don't find it in the Lord, guess where you're going to find it? In the world. So many believers have been destroyed. Their lives. We have to be aware. The world's invitation to come. Little shiny things. Lures. Attacking us. The enemy of God. The system of operation in this world that is apart from the plan of God.